My topic today is one minute after you die. There is a fable that comes to us from the Middle East that says that there was a merchant who sent his servant into the marketplace to do an errand for him. The servant came back that morning and was terrified and said, In the marketplace I met Lady Death, and she startled me. And I'm so afraid of her. Give me your fastest horse so that I can ride all the way to Sumera tonight. So the merchant gave the young man his fastest horse, and he was on his way to Sumera. Later that afternoon, the merchant himself went into the market and met Lady Death and said, Why did you startle my servant? And uh, Lady Death said, I didn't intend to. I was startled. Because I don't know what in the world he's doing here in Baghdad when I have an appointment with him in Sumera tonight. (laughs) Take all the medicine you can, all of the vitamins, do all of the exercises that I know I should be doing. I told the folks this morning that a trainer told me that if I did exercises, I could add 15 years to my life. And I think he's right because I've been doing exercises for six weeks and I feel 15 years older already. (laughs) Do all the exercises, take all the vitamins, I'm all in favor of that, but in the end, death will find you. The statistics are very impressive. The Bible tells us that Jesus has the keys of death and of Hades. And when you die, you're going to be in one of two places. Either you are going to be in Hades which is a difficult place to be in, shadowy place, but eventually Hades even is cast into hell, the Bible says, which is terrifying, more terrifying than you and I can visualize or understand. Or on the other hand, we'll actually be in heaven with the Lord. And that's what we want to talk about. But before I get into the details of the text that we have, and you can take your Bibles right now and turn to the seventh chapter of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7, we're going to be talking about the first martyr, Stephen. Even before I begin that, Stephen reminds us of the fact that sometimes people die young. Now, we don't know how old Stephen was, But certainly he had a lot more years that he would have lived if he had not been stoned to death. Jim Elliott, some of you may remember, he was a martyr, and his father said of him, God is peopling heaven. Why should he limit himself to old people? Some of you have children who are in heaven. Some of you know young people who died for whatever reason, and they are in heaven today, and God is peopling heaven. And heaven is being filled indeed. There's a second lesson that we want to learn, and we'll discover that in the text. And that is the fact that um, so often we see only one side. As a matter of fact, we only see reality, physical reality. But when people die, they are actually in a new reality that is absolutely real. We can't see it with our human eyes, but they experience a new reality. With that intro, chapter 7 of the book of Acts, I'm going to pick it up at verse 54. Now, Stephen has said some very hard things. He called them hard-hearted 
And it was not a sermon to impress or to make them love him necessarily, to put it mildly. So in verse 54 we read, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, that is Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of his execution. Now here's what we're going to do. I'm going to be giving you four realities, and I use the word reality because I want to emphasize that we're not talking about something that is just so ethereal as if it isn't real. Four realities that believers experience when they die. Someone during the break asked whether or not these were three or four realities regarding heaven. Yes, you can put it that way. But even from the experience here of Stephen, we're going to find out that the curtain has been pulled back. And we look into that other realm, which reminds you, and I want to emphasize, it is absolutely real. Though in this life, we do not see it. But when you are there and someone dies, you see nothing except a body that begins to decompose. But what is it that they will see? If they are believers, here are four realities. Thank you for joining me on this journey. And if you're in the habit of taking notes, as some of you are, let's begin. First of all, number one, they see the glory of God. The glory of God. And I notice that thanks to your team, you actually have the verses of Scripture up here. Pastor Johnny, you have a very sharp team here that can take a sermon that I preached in the morning and already have all the notes up here. Number one, the glory of God. Now, when we talk about the glory of God, I instantly think of Moses. Do you remember in chapter 33, Moses said to God, show me your glory. Think about that with me. Moses had already been up on the mountain 40 days and 40 night, nights imbibing the glory of God. And now what is he asking for? More of God's glory. And God says to him, well, you know, you can't see me directly because no man can see me and live, but I'm going to put you in a cave and I'm going to pass by you so that you can get a glimpse of me. Moses always wanted more of the glory of God. Now, you know that he didn't get into the land. You're aware of that because of disobedience. But Moses did get into the land. Fourteen centuries later, he shows up on the Mount of Transfiguration, Mount Hermon. 
And there is Moses and Elijah meeting, of course, with also some of the disciples that are up there. And the Bible says in the book of Luke, I read it this morning, it says that they came with glory. No matter how much glory Moses had seen, he never had enough. And you and I will never get enough of the glory of God, even though we will be there forever. Johnny Erickson Tata, when we speak, by the way, of the glory of God, of course, we're talking about God's brilliance, his holiness, his radiance. Johnny Erickson Tata, who suffered so much, you know her story. She's been in a wheelchair for 50 years. Somebody has to brush her teeth, wash her hair, take care of her. Wow, what a woman. What a blessing she has been to people. But she said the thing that she looks forward to most in heaven is not just getting rid of her wheelchair, but rather being able to see the glory of God without sin ever coming in between. We can't see the glory of God in this life because, as I mentioned, no man can see me and live, God says. And the glory of God has to be mediated when Jesus came to earth, what, what did they say? We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But that's why we sing at Christmas, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. The glory was veiled. But the day is coming when we die. Imagine this. This is what Stephen experienced when he was alive. He already saw the glory of God. Imagine what he saw when he actually died. Augustine, that great theologian and philosopher, said, Oh, God, thou hast said no man can see thee and live. May I die that I might behold thy glory. Widows, your husband was a believer. He saw the glory of of God when he died, and we will see the glory of God forever. But there's a second reality, and we're still in verse 55, if you notice. It says, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, in the Old Testament, when priests offered sacrifices, they were not allowed to sit down. They worked in shifts, eight-hour shifts, as the sacrifice kept burning. Why? Couldn't they sit down? Because when you sit down, the implication is you're finished your job. And they were never finished. But the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that when Jesus finished his work, he sat down. He said, it's all done. It is finished. This is the only time in the New Testament when we are told that Jesus was standing at the right hand of God. About 10 times, it talks about Jesus seated at the right hand of God the Father. But here he's standing. What he's saying in effect is, Stephen, I know that the stones hurt. I know that they are shouting at you. They are cursing you. But that's okay. When it's all over, it's not going to last forever. When it's all over, I'm here for you. And when somebody dies who's a believer, they will see Jesus 
and he will be there for them. This morning, I told the story of my mother, and I always like to mention this, and forgive me if you've heard it before, but my father lived to 106, my mother to 103. I've always prayed that, well, let me say this, that my parents lived so long that I'm sure until my father died, all of their friends in heaven thought that they just didn't make it. You know, they said, <laughs> where are the Lutzers? But the Lutzers made it. I said to my mother, do you look forward to seeing dad in heaven? And she said, oh yeah, but I want to see Jesus. I told Rebecca one time that if the first thousand years in heaven, I am on my face before Jesus worshiping and thanking him, that's okay. The first person that you want to see is Jesus. And he is there for all of his people. And I want to emphasize that death is very close to us. That other realm that I've talked about. There is a story about a pastor, Sanborn, in Iowa. And uh, he was visiting a young girl one Saturday morning. And she was dying. And she looked up and she said, I, I want to go in, but Mimi is going ahead of me. And then she looked up and said, I want to go in. Gramps is going ahead of me. The pastor left, he came back, she had died. But he wondered, who was Mimi and who was Gramps? He did some investigation and discovered that one of them, were, both were friends of the family, one had gone to New York, the other in a southern state, and they both died that Saturday morning. Heaven is very close. The reality is very, very close. It's a heartbeat away. And back in the days before they had anesthetic, people sometimes during that transition period even saw into heaven already. That doesn't happen very often. Certainly today it doesn't. But a young woman like that, in her dying state, already saw heaven. And why not? I mean, Stephen was able to see that before he died. So the second reality that you'll experience is Jesus. He will be there for you to welcome you. The third reality is the safekeeping of Jesus. Now, you'll notice, and this is in verse 59, where Stephen is speaking, and it says that before he died, what did he say? Lord Jesus Receive my spirit. Stephen is dying, and he is the first Christian martyr, but I should have emphasized that there are martyrs all throughout the world right today, even as we're talking. All throughout the Middle East and in other countries, you have no idea of all that they are going through. But there he is, he dies, and he commits his spirit to the Lord, and so he commits his spirit to the Lord for safekeeping. You remember how Jesus made the statement when he said, you know, don't fear those who are able to kill the body, and then after that there's nothing else they can do. But fear him, rather, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And what Jesus was saying is, once your soul is in heaven, you are safe. You know, it's very interesting. Jesus really taught us how to die. You remember at the middle cross, 
when he died, the middle remark, I should say, when he was on the cross was, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As he was bearing the sin of the world. But by the time you get to his death, fellowship with the Father was back, and the last words that Jesus prayed were, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. The Bible says that wicked hands crucified Jesus. Wicked hands. But in the end, even though wicked hands crucified Jesus, there comes a time when wicked hands can't do anything anymore. And you're in the hands of Jesus. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. I told the folks this morning about a woman who heard me preach, and I was talking about the fact that if we are believers, we die at an appointed time. And she was quite upset. She said, my husband was murdered. Are you saying that that could be his appointed time to die? Well, I understand her grief, and I understand her questions. But I had to point out, I know someone who was murdered doing the will of God and dying at exactly when God determined he would die. And that is Jesus, who before the time began, the predetermined plan of God was crucified. Even when we are in the hands of the devil, the true believer is still in the hands of God. And I'll take that amen coming from right over there. I was asking the people this morning, I don't know, is it still, is it still legal to say amen here in Nashville? I'm, I'm from Illinois, so I have no idea what's happening here. Amen? Good. I have to tell you one more story about a martyr, John Hus. Hus, in the Czech language, means goose. And he was a preacher in Prague. As a matter of fact, Rebecca and I have been in his chapel where he preached, though it's been reworked and is a little different. But Hus was preaching there in the 1400s. The Pope didn't like it. He was asked to go to the Council of Constance to be tried for heresy, but he was given safe passage. In other words, they said, you can be tried, but we'll make sure you get back home. So he was there he was put in prison. They did everything they could to break him down, and he wouldn't recant. And finally, the emperor, who was Zygismund, said that he didn't have to keep his word to a heretic. So Hus was taken, and they put a crown on his head that said, We commit your soul to Satan. Hus said, I commit my soul into the hands of God. When he was taken to be burned... He said, you can cook this hus, you can cook this goose, but in a hundred years a swan will arise and him you will not silence. A hundred and two years later, Luther nails his 95 theses on the castle church door in Wittenberg, and Luther consciously believed that he was the fulfillment of Hus's prophecy. My point is this, the wicked may consign you to Satan. But if you are a believer, 
Your soul is secure in God because you've committed yourself into the hands of Almighty God. So that's a third reality. Your husband, if he has died in the Lord, is safe. Thank you very much. And he would never come back, even if he was given the opportunity, even though he still loves you. He has seen the glory of God. He has seen Jesus. And once you see Jesus, you don't even want to come back to Nashville. I thought I'd throw that in at no extra charge. So that's the third reality. Let me give you a fourth, and that is the reward of Jesus. The reward of Jesus. Now, first of all, uh, speaking about the reward, it's not explicitly in this text, but implicitly. Isn't it interesting that the word Stephen, the name Stephen, is crown in Greek? So there's no doubt that the Bible talks about the martyr's crown. It talks about various crowns, and sometimes it's difficult to distinguish them. But there's no doubt that there is special privileges given to those who have been faithful. Now, I'm going to quote a verse in a few moments that some of you are going to say, this can't be true. It is so overwhelming. But this is what the scripture says. To those, Jesus is speaking, to those who overcome, I shall grant to sit with me on my throne even as I overcame and sat on my father's throne. Wait a moment, Jesus. Did you actually say that we are going to sit on the throne with you? On the throne of God? Sinners redeemed? You say, well, Pastor Lutzer, how big is the throne of Jesus? I don't know, but I do know this. It is big enough for all those who are overcomers in this life. They will sit with me on my throne as I overcame and sat with my father on his throne. So not only that, the fourth reality is to be rewarded by Christ, to be rewarded by Christ. So when you go to a funeral, Tony Evans, a friend of mine, said, have a great time at my funeral because I'm not going to be there. And Jesus was saying, in effect, to Stephen, Stephen, you may have a rough ride. We've seen people struggle with cancer, incredible pain, and in the hospital, out of the hospital, one doctor after another. We see all of that and the intensity of what they're going through, but God is saying, look, you may have a very rough ride, but you're going to have a safe landing. You're going to have a safe landing because you are in my hands. And I'm here even to give you a reward. Even though I give you the grace to do rewards, I'll still thank you and reward you for doing what I gave you the grace to do, the grace of God. What I'd like to do is to kind of nail this down for you with some lessons. And I notice that on your screen already, your tech team has written these things down. Apparently, Pastor Johnny, they were listening last time. <laughs> Number one, things are not what they appear to be. 
Boy, I could preach about this in a wider context in the world when it seems as if evil is winning. Ultimately, evil is not winning. I'll take out time and tell you that in Revelation 13, Antichrist rules and the whole world worships him. Wow, evil is winning. Read a couple of chapters later and you discover that Antichrist is in the lake of fire. Thank you very much. Amen. It was weak, but I take it. And we look at a dead body. And we look at a dead body, and sometimes people have been in accidents. Their body is just totally destroyed. They've drowned. They've been eaten by sharks or whatever, or eaten by disease. People who are healthy, down to 90 pounds or less. And it looks very glum. But back behind it, remember, they are doing well if they are in the presence of the Lord, very well as a matter of fact. And they are the same people there as they were here. Now, they haven't gotten their resurrection bodies yet. That's still future. But meanwhile, the soul takes on the characteristics of the body, so people are communicating in heaven. Sometimes widows ask me, does my husband remember me? And I say, do you actually think that your husband is going to know less in heaven than he did on earth? Of course he remembers you. Of course he still loves you. And he is still the same person. And of course, eventually, we'll all get our resurrected bodies and will not be totally ready for eternity until that happens. So things aren't what they appear to be. They can be very glum, but actually on the other side, things are going very well. Second, our witness, how we die, can affect others. How we die can affect others. Why, where's that in the text? Well, look at this. They take Stephen's clothes, they throw them at the feet of Paul, who was called Saul, and Saul, verse 8, consent, chapter 8, verse 1, he consents to their death. Later on, I think it's in Acts 22, Paul refers to that and he talks about how this happened. And he seems to imply that his conscience really bothered him. Can you imagine stoning somebody to death, cursing him out, and then he says, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Who in the world dies like that? My sister was a missionary in Africa for 30 years, and she said that in that tribe, they talked about dying a good death. What is a good death? A good death is when you have an opportunity to speak to those around you, to assure them that you are on your way to heaven, but also to, to encourage them to run the race well. That's a good death. And God never shows us the good that we do. Stephen did not know that 2,000 years later he would be an inspiration to all of us, that we'd be preaching about him, that his story would be enshrined in the book of Acts, and throughout the centuries he would be a blessing. He doesn't know that. If you read the book of Ruth, she doesn't know that everything that she went through and 
Naomi and all the suffering that she endured, all for the purpose of eventually having Ruth in the genealogy of Jesus, God hides that from us. Your impact is much greater than you realize it is. So how we die and how we approach death is a great witness to the gospel and the confidence that we have that Jesus came to take the sting out of death. There's a third lesson, and that is this, that um, for the Christian, this life is as good, excuse me, for the Christian, this life is the worst it will ever get. Did I get that right this time? Yeah. Amen. Amen. This is as bad as it will ever get. If you're not a Christian, well, this is your best life now. You'd better enjoy it. Let's talk about the Christian. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, he says, this light affliction works in us, he says, an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Paul is thinking of the scales. You know, I was brought up in Canada, very primitive place. And we used to have these scales. I remember them in stores where you'd put a pound of iron on one side and then you'd have a pound of meat on the other and if it balanced. And that's what Paul is thinking of. And he's saying this. He's saying, take all of your troubles and put them on one side of the scale. A divorce, bankruptcy, rejection by your family, an unfair lawsuit, people who chiseled you out of your inheritance, health issues, make a long list. Use as much paper as you possibly need. Buy some at Walgreens if you don't have enough to write everything down. And then on the other side, you put the eternal weight of glory. Paul says, there's no comparison. The scale will just go plunk like having a human hair on this side and an elephant on this side. No comparison. This is the worst for you as a believer it will ever get. Now, if you're an unbeliever, if you've never put your faith in Christ, I have to tell you this, this is your best life now because for you, it is become, going to become very terrible unless you repent of your sins and believe on Jesus Christ alone and his righteousness so that you can be accepted by the Father. I'll tell you, it is terrifying if your faith isn't in Christ alone. A number of years ago, Rebecca and I were in California, and a couple said, you know, Frank Sinatra is buried in this uh, cemetery across the way. So we went there. We didn't know where his grave was, but somebody had a cell phone, and everything is on the cell phone today. Even stuff that isn't true is on your cell phone. <laughs> but uh, somebody found his grave, said, you know, just walk here. Now, the thing that surprised me was how ordinary the grave was. I mean, this was Frank Sinatra. I was expecting, you know, a special monument. It was one of these, Pastor Johnny, that you could just go over with a, with a grass cutter, you know, so that everybody could, uh, a lawnmower, so that everybody could uh, be equal. 
But on his tombstone were written the words of one of his favorite songs, The Best is Yet to Come. As I stood there, I'm not Frank Sinatra's judge. He'll be judged by God. But I want to tell you this. Unless his faith was in Jesus Christ alone, what should have been written on that tombstone is the worst is yet to come. Because it is only the believer who can say the best is yet to come. So cheer up. This is as bad as it's going to get. When you die, it sure is going to be a lot better. I think, for example, of Sir Francis Newport, who was an unbeliever. He was an infidel. When he died, he said, I know that there is a God, and I know that there is a hell. I feel myself slipping. Oh, eternity. Oh, the unsufferable pangs of hell. Wow. Contrast that with D.L. Moody, who in his youth feared death, but when it came time to die... He said, earth recedes, heaven opens. If this be death, it is glorious. Wow. Remember Shakespeare? He wrote Hamlet. Hamlet um, is contemplating suicide because he's going through depression. His life is coming apart, and he's thinking of ending it. It's a soliloquy. To be or not to be, that is the question. And he's contemplating that because life is hard. But then as he thinks about it, he thinks, you know, maybe if I commit suicide in that sleep of death, what dreams may come when we have shuffled off this mortal coil. Life is terrible, but maybe if I commit suicide, who knows what's on the other side? It could be even more terrible. So he doesn't know what to do. Imagine this. What he is saying is, life or death, I'm a loser. Contrast that with the Apostle Paul who said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Hamlet is saying, live or die, I'm a loser. Paul says, live or die, I'm a winner. I can hardly wait to be with Christ, but to abide in the flesh is more needful for you, Paul says. And so I'm willing to put up with life and just simply postpone my glorification. As a matter of fact, I was reading the other day that before Martin Lloyd-Jones died, he said to his family, don't pray for my health. Don't rob me of my glorification. After all, Glory awaits him. The question I want to ask you is, is your faith in Christ or is it kind of in Jesus, but it's also in you? So there's a mixture there of your righteousness and Christ's righteousness. Through repentance and faith, you must receive Christ alone because only his righteousness prepares us for heaven. And if you have never savingly believed on him, This would be a good time in repentance and faith to believe in the one who can carry you all the way from this life to the next and present you perfect to the Father, where you will meet Christ, you'll have the assurance, the glories of heaven. 
Bottom line, only Christians can have on their gravestone the best is yet to come. And I leave you with this word, the only thing that really matters. You know, your life is cluttered, isn't it? My, mine often is. But the only thing that really matters is what matters forever. Time is short. Eternity is long. Prepare to meet God through Christ our Lord. Let me pray for you. Father, we want to thank you today for these dear people who have come to worship, to give you praise. Thank you, Father, for the salvation that Jesus brought us. Thank you for Stephen. Lord, we just rejoice in the fact that he was faithful so that we could speak about him today and emphasize how faithful he was and how he died well. Grant us, O oh God, the grace that when our time comes, we also may be a witness to others, knowing that we shall be in your presence to see your glory, to see Jesus, to know that we are secure forever in your love. For those who do not know Christ as Savior, point that out to them through the conviction of the Spirit, and may they savingly believe. We ask in your blessed name, amen.